As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're ready to take your game to the next level, who better to lead the way than our own Luke Bogacki? Check out This Is Bracket Racing Elite today. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality new or used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Brandon. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki, and the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Big Jed, what's up, buddy? Oh, Luke, just getting in from work, and it's been obviously quite a busy last several days at the BT Southern Foot Brake Challenge, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and a little worn down, and uh, understandable, <laughs> as understandable. We'll, as we'll, yeah, as we'll talk about in a little bit, I feel a little beat down, but we'll discuss that shortly. But uh, you know, all in all, just trying to catch up. You know how it is when you put a race on it. So it's a lot of work, but um, looking forward to talking about the results of that that event here in just a little while. How about yeah, you, Bo? As do I. I look forward to that myself. As you alluded to, I think we've got to start the show. With a little follow-up conversation on our safety equipment issue, normally we go right into uh, who's hot, talk results, but I, I think you agree, Big Jed. I think this needs to, to be on the top. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, last week on the show, we talked about utilizing proper safety equipment, 
and our discussion related directly, I guess, to the Million Dollar Race. What has ensued since has been a bit of a social media, what would you call it, firestorm? That sounds like a really good word. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, and and I know we talked about it off air, a lot of the, the feedback that we receive came from the way that we worded our social media post. And I will take full responsibility for that. After all, I did write it. But our post was, and I'll quote, in episode 49, we talked about proper use of safety equipment or lack thereof. If you haven't listened yet, we basically said it's irresponsible not to wear your stuff, but if you don't wear all your stuff, it really only affects you. Basically, instead of turning to social media to call out others, be responsible for you and your own safety. What are your thoughts? And we got lots of thoughts. Yes, we did. With the clarity of hindsight, I wish that I had not used the words, quote, it only really affects you, end quote. But I wrote that admittedly in a bit of a rush and under the assumption that whoever read it would have already listened to last week's show. If you will go back and listen to the show, I think you'll find a more representative depiction of my thoughts and obviously, by extension, our thoughts. The comments that we received on that post came from various perspectives, went into a lot of different directions, and we appreciate every one of them. Like, I think I speak for both of us when I say we welcome and respect passionate opinions, even if or when they they don't align directly with our own. In this case, I actually think the majority of comments basically said a lot of the same things that we said in the last episode. Again, if you actually listen to the podcast, although maybe we said them in a little bit of a different way. So to be clear, first of all, we did not and will not advocate failure to wear all appropriate safety equipment in a proper manner. If I didn't say that outright last episode, I will now. I encourage all of you racers out there to do that. And I think that failure to do so is irresponsible and reckless. I know that I said that last episode. And as I mentioned last episode, I do try to lead by example in that regard. The point of last week's discussion was really to hammer home the idea, that the fact really, that ultimately safety is our responsibility as drivers. Every single rule in the rule book, even the rules that a lot of us roll our eyes at, was put into place because someone somewhere was injured or or killed. And the implementation of these rules could help to prevent that. Will strict adherence to those rules eliminate the threat of injury or death? Of course not. We compete at speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour, some of us in excess of 200 miles an hour, and we accept the fact that anything can happen. It is an inherent risk of our sport. Does proper safety equipment help our chances if we're in an accident? Absolutely. You would be a fool to argue otherwise. So wear your stuff. My point was that it's ultimately your responsibility, not the responsibility of the competitors around you. And Ultimately, in my opinion, not the responsibility of the racetrack, the sanctioning body, the promoter. I actually had a conversation about this at The Million with Kevin McKenna. Name drop, friend of the podcast, former guest. He was there covering the event for National Dragster. And for him, like many, it was really foreign to see drivers without proper safety gear. And he asked me my thoughts. And I told him, much like I told all of you listeners a week ago, to each his own. Like, I used to be guilty of that myself, but as I get older, 
I come to realize that I've got people depending on me, namely my wife, my son, my mother, my friends. I know it's a dangerous game, but I try to be as safe as I can, probably now more so than ever, because I feel like I've got more to live for. And when I said that, Kevin looked me dead in the eye and said, don't we all? That, in a nutshell, is my take. Like, I want to encourage each of you to take responsibility for yourself and your safety. Now, we had several passionate and well-thought-out comments explaining how racetracks and how promoters, as well as other racers, can assist, so to speak, in this process. And while initially I resisted that to a degree, like I would have to agree that most of those posts probably have a, a point. If the events are more strict, racers don't have as much of an option, so to speak. And maybe it's, it's just as simple as like it's not as quote-unquote normal to see racers without proper attire. And we are a, a, a monkey-see, monkey-do type of sport. Like, so if there's less of that going on, less racers are inclined to do it. Like, it's hard to disagree with that. And from a competing racer's perspective, like, that's where I think it gets a little bit more complicated. I'm not even going to say that it's not my place to tell another racer that they aren't wearing the right stuff. Like, maybe it is. But if I walk around the corner and come up on a couple smoking cigarettes, like, am I obligated to inform them about the risks to their health? It's 2017. Like, I think it's pretty obvious in this day and age, we know smoking isn't healthy. Just like we know all of those rules in the rule book are there for a reason. I shouldn't have to tell anybody that. But when I step back from it and, and, and think through that, like, I can speak from personal experience. Michael Beard, who was one of the more vocal posters on our thread, um, it was a couple years ago, like, he, he called me out. I was wearing sweatpants in my Vega at a footbreak event, and he basically said what, you know, like, the bottom half of you's not going to burn. Like, he had a similar quote on our Facebook thread, and I didn't like that he called me out in the moment, but you know what? Like, he basically shamed me into wearing fire pants the rest of the weekend. And in the end, I realized that he only said that to me because he didn't want to see me get hurt and because he didn't want to see me set a bad example for others. So maybe I underestimate the power that that has, the impact that it has. Maybe each of us can make a little bit more of a difference than I think by being a little bit more vocal. But what I said and what I was trying to express last week is not something that I'm going to walk back. Like when I strap into the race car, ultimately, I don't think it's anyone's responsibility to keep me as safe as possible, but me. And that applies to each and every one of us. That was the point of that segment last show. Take care of you. Control the things that you can control and set a solid example for others. Yeah, obviously very well said, Luke. And, and I think we feel the same way. You know, I, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been torn up pretty good I somehow. I don't I know what the, I said. I get the impression that this bothers you more than it bothers me, Jed. So for that, like, I apologize for putting you in this situation. No, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> as I said on Facebook, on our page, I have put my opinion on display through this and, and hot microphones and the platform that I'm blessed to have. Somehow, I don't know what I said last week because I haven't listened to the show, to be honest with you. Uh, it's been quite a busy several weeks for me. So I don't know exactly what I said on the show, but if I said that I'm not for people wearing safety equipment and I don't want them to, 
then I said the wrong things because yes. that is not how I feel. Somehow it's made out to be that way. I feel like I've been made out to to have said something uh, in line with that anyway. But fact is, I feel like all we can control is ourselves. Maybe being on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast and being the, the people's announcer or the golden voice or whatever else someone else would, would say I am, maybe I do need to express my opinion and try to get people to be safer. But as I said, if we want to be safe, a guy that doesn't have his seat belts as tight or he's got an out-of-date helmet or he's wearing sweatpants doesn't scare me nearly as bad as staging beside a guy that I watched falling down drunk at the racer appreciation party the night before, or the guy that I'm told smokes weed like I eat hot dogs, or a do, guy do that a just, I eat them really good and really well, um, just and a bunch of them. That don't scare me nearly as bad. What what he's wearing in his car doesn't scare me nearly as bad as wondering if he's still not quite right from last night when I saw him. So if we want to get real safe, let's get some cups out and we'll all go tinkle in them and let's figure out what's going on inside somebody's body inside their head. Now, that's not to diminish the fact that we all need to wear proper safety gear. I'm all for that. I've abused the rule. I admitted that last week, and I will continue to admit it for the rest of my racing days. But, you know, I am getting safer every time I get on the racetrack, and I'm trying to to do the right things. And it was brought to question, is that how I'm going to teach J.J. to race? No, I'm trying to teach J.J. to be a better person than I am off the racetrack, a better person than I am on the racetrack. That's just what fathers do, and, and I will definitely encourage him and and force him to be at the top of his game on his safety habits and and certainly the way he carries himself at the racetrack each and every time he goes. So I'm not against safety gear. I hate wearing it. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I hate it. I'm fat, and I get hot in my race car in Alabama, and I hate safety gear, but I'm getting better at it, and this – is, as you said, shaming me into feeling like I need to step my game up some more, and I will. But the way it's been made out that I'm not for it or I think it shouldn't happen, that's not the case at all. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to uh, to draw that parallel from the words that you said last week, Jed. You alluded to it a little bit in your rant there, but what do you make of the argument that and, and I saw this in a couple of, like in our Facebook thread, maybe on something on the Dragger's Results message board. I tried to do a little bit of research on this this morning. What do you make of the argument that, a, that the lack of attention to personal safety spills over to lessened attention to the risk that, uh, or to the idea that you could put others at risk? Like, I, I, we saw people say, well, that guy's not wearing pants. Like, who's to say that his oil line's tied or he's got a diaper or something like that. Like, I don't know that that's necessarily a parallel. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think those things have zero to do with one another. You know, the the guy that might be thinking about cheating you, I don't think there's a certain thing he wears or doesn't wear. So I don't think those things have anything to do with one another personally. Well, yeah, and that's one area, like, as it pertains to the safety of everyone at the racetrack, like, as I mentioned before, like, and I guess this comes down to the root of this is that I'm not a particularly confrontational person. Like, maybe I should take initiative and say, hey, man, your glove's got a hole in it. Like, 
why don't you get that fixed up? Because like, if you caught on fire, you'd really want that glove to not have a hole in it. But like, that's not really my personality. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Like, I just have a hard time doing that. But if you come through the pits at 50 mile an hour, like with a bunch of innocent bystanders standing around, like I'll typically say something to you. Or if I see something on your car that would put your opponent at risk, like that's one where I won't be so passive. To me, that's the difference between like someone not wearing their seatbelt on the highway and driving distracted or texting while they're going down the road. You know what I mean? Like one doesn't affect everyone else that's on the road. One does. And to your point, like you just mentioned, like to go a step further, I saw some people actually draw the parallel between like a lack of safety enforcement and a lack of tech enforcement in terms of like cheating devices and things like that. And that one, I don't get it all. Like, I don't think you can draw that parallel. You could make the argument obviously that safety is more important when you get down to it but and i'm not going to argue with that but i've been to a lot of events like the million included honestly in which electronic tech was fairly intense while safety tech was fairly lenient now again like i'm not saying that that's appropriate i'm just illustrating that there's not necessarily a parallel between the two i don't know that i've been to a race that the electronic cheating aids, so to speak, were more looked at and strictly enforced than the million dollar race. So to draw that parallel to me is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Again, I agree. I think I got ahead of the notes that we had for the show by saying a guy that's going to cheat you is not wearing a certain thing. I don't think those things have anything to do with one another. And again, as I've stated on the show and and to anybody that asked me over and over at the races, I don't think there's a whole lot of the the cheating going on. If they're doing it, they're not doing it well. So I agree with your your statements there, Luke. And uh, I guess all in all, when it's all said and done, I appreciate the fact that our listeners and and the people that are responding to our Facebook page feel like the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast is a platform that can basically change our sport for the better. That actually now they're making it out that it's for the worst that you know we were not doing the things that we need to do with this platform. So I appreciate them putting that much confidence in this show. Maybe they're right, and our message I don't think was received way we wanted it to be received so hopefully that's cleared up now regardless of your take on our thoughts like the discussion is positive absolutely Uh, i don't love that the discussion is critical of us but if that's what it takes like that's fine I, i think that many people thinking about this talking about this in in the bigger picture is good for our sport so while we didn't necessarily mean to uh have it come up the way that it did like i'll take it Jed, let's move on to uh, to some more fun, enjoyable topics to discuss now that that's out of the way. We've got some on-track racing to talk about from the weekend. As you mentioned, Southern Footbreak Challenge was in Holly Springs. You were a big part of that event. You'll talk a lot about it. NHRA was at Las Vegas for the national event. We'll catch up with a winner there, a winner from Las Vegas, Marco Paravalaris, who got the win in Supercomp. NHRA Division Two wrapped up at Rockingham. We'll talk about the results from those events and how they will help shape the championship chases. But first, as per usual, let's lead things off by telling everybody who's hot in the world of sportsman drag racing. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Sabre Performance Who's Hot. Sabre Performance is now offering engine and carburetor packages. This week's feature package is the Sportsman Series 383. It is a 500 horsepower pump gas ready small block 
built with reliability and longevity in mind. It comes with a new GM block, Brodix heads, and a MSD billet distributor. An optional Seabrook Performance carburetor is also available to enhance this package. For more information, contact Luke Seabrook at 785-286-6813 or check out SeabrookPerformance.com. Luke, this uh, we talked about it off air. This is unprecedented, but we've got a super hot driver that hasn't really cooled off since he was named Seabrook Performance Who's Hot just a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago maybe. Yeah, when we talked about this, the two main candidates for the Seabrook Performance Who's Hot this week were two guys that we have already named Seabrook Performance Who's Hot in the past. So what what we would normally do is try to uh, give that to someone else that is deserving. But these two stood out more than anyone else and won a little bit more than the other. And when it comes right down to it, Jed, it, it's our podcast, and we make the rules. So if we want to give Brad Plourd the Seabrook performance who's hot for the second time in, what, less than two months? <laughs> By golly, we can do that. And we have. In light of recent events, Luke said that. That was Luke Bogacki said it's our show, and we do what we want, just so go. y'all know. There you go. <laughs> when we first awarded brad the secret performance who side i believe that was mid-september at that point he had runnered up a twenty thousand dollar to win race in huntsville in a back half nova he won the u.s nationals in competition eliminator in a 200 plus mile an hour buggy finished here altered <laughs> and he won the all-state shootout in super comp in a borrowed car that i believe we talked to him he'd never driven before yes um, three different types of competition drastically different types of competition three different cars since then brad has won another twenty thousand dollar race at huntsville in his same back half door car that same weekend he also kind of ran the table he won a four thousand dollar gambler's race and a duck race Um, yes three event wins a week ago at the mickey thompson million he advanced to the final four cars we talked about that last week in what is essentially a stock eliminator car i don't want to disparage the equipment that brad was in at the million but if you were to list the what did they have 340 something entries yeah 337 if you were to list the 337 cars in the million uh, and draft like take your pick what car you want to drive i'm confident that brad's nine inch tire chevy 2 would have been drafted in the 300s like it is not the tool (laughs) that you would normally pick for the job yet he advanced down to four cars got a huge payday and now less than a week later at your race at the Southern Footbrake Challenge in Holly Springs, Mississippi, he drove the same Chevy 2 to a $15,000 win, this time swapping feet. It is, after all, the Southern Footbrake Challenge. You cannot get a wider variety of racing disciplines and a wider variety of racing vehicles. You couldn't handpick, hey, Brad, I challenge you to go win in this and this and this and this. Like, you couldn't make it any harder. (laughs) <laughs> and he's done it. And and you actually enlightened me a little bit. The car that he won the Southern Footbrake Challenge in was the same car that he advanced to the semifinals of the Million Dollar Race. I did not realize it was not the same combination. No, he, um, he obviously had his top bulb set up in the car for the Million and performed extremely well, not just in the Million, but he, he went a lot of rounds outside of that. Had his uh, 180 gear set. Uh, power glide transmission in the car for hitting the top bulb well he said there is no spot on the tree 
for that car to uh, to perform foot braking like he wanted it to. So he came home, put it on the lift, took that trans and converter out, and put his three-speed trans and converter combination in his stocker setup with the uh, Luke you'd know was a 272 low gear 274 something like that I think uh, a 275 is an aftermarket I believe they're a 248 uh, standard so I don't know what he's got in it maybe a 275 it, it's a 270 something and he um, he said it's actually a struggle to keep it green so he likes it he leaves it very low RPMs car wheel stands pretty good and shifts twice, and uh, he, he came home and just did a transformation, got it in foot brake mode, and came over and just uh, wore everybody out for 15 grand on Saturday and actually beat one of the best foot brake racers uh, in the country, if not the world, and that's uh, Lucas Walker. So very impressive by Brad once again. No doubt. Very deserving, albeit for the second time in 2017, of the Seabrook performance, Who's Hot. Jed, we'll get back to the Southern Footbreak Challenge, get your thoughts on the big weekend down there. But let's start off the results portion of the show by talking about the NHRA national event in Las Vegas. Season is winding to a close. This is the second to last national event of the season. With this and the Rockingham Division II race in the rearview mirror, there are only two points earning opportunities left for the NHRA sportsman racers, being the Las Vegas Divisional event this weekend, the World Finals at Pomona next weekend. We'll break down the points chases, what's left of them, a little bit later in the show, but actual on track results from Las Vegas. The aforementioned Marco Paravalaris got the win in Supercomp. We will actually have Marco joining the show with us later. Marco defeated Mark Potts in the final of Supercomp. Supergas saw Val Torres get the win over Tanner Hyatt in Super Stock. Ryan McClanahan got the win over Daryl Dietz. And in Stock Eliminator, probably the big story from Las Vegas, mm-hmm. saw Justin Lamb. Justin came into the event three-ish rounds behind Kevin Helms in the Superstock points battle. Both of them were there at Las Vegas. Helms lost a double breakout match in round one, which opened the door for Justin. He had to win the fifth round of competition to take the national points lead. In the fifth round of competition, Scott Burton was red, so I guess it was irrelevant, but Justin was perfect because Mm. that's what you do if you're Justin Lamb and everything's on the line. Like, that's just what he does. It's what he's been doing for... Yes. Since, since the Spring Fling Million, certainly. Like, very, very impressive on the bottom. He went a step further. That was fifth round. He got the bye run sixth round. In the final round, he defeated Randy Lynship. It's not over just yet. He is the national points leader in Stock Eliminator. In Super Stock, it is over. He has clinched that championship. He has all but clinched Stock Eliminator. We'll go into the details of that a little bit later. But what another huge performance in the clutch for Justin Lamb. Yeah, no doubt. Justin uh, performed at an extremely high level throughout his career, but this year's just been exceptional. I mean, the guy just wrecks the bottom bulb and drives very well, got great equipment. I know Chris keeps him in excellent equipment, so um, no surprise, but... You know, you just wonder how much a guy can keep winning, and he's doing it. So great job by Justin. Great to see Marco get it done as well, and I'm looking forward to hearing the interview there with him. It's going to be a good time. Division 2 was at Rockingham. We breeze through those results quick, Jed. We got a little bit of uh, commentary there, but not a whole lot. 
Yeah, and top dragster Robert Houston got the win over Lauren Freer. Lauren's been red hot as well on the NHRA side. Top sportsman team Luke Sandy Wilkins getting the win over Matthew Buck. I believe I'm getting ready to get fitted for a decal here pretty soon. It's looking that way. Just a quick note there. Obviously, Sandy Wilkins comes up short. It looks like he'll finish second in the world to Jeffrey Barker. Jeffrey has clinched the top sportsman world championship, which, again, we'll cover later. But the Division II standings, with that win, Sandy won the Division II championship. Jeffrey was second with 411 points, if I'm not mistaken. You only get five races to uh, accumulate your divisional points, and in top sportsmen, the max you can get is 95 a race. So quick math tells you that the max would be, what, like 475 if you won everything and they were all five-round races, which they're not. So in reality, the max is probably like 455. Jeffrey had 411. Like he left four rounds on the table all year and failed and to Sandy win the collected them. Correct. Wow. That is uh, <laughs> Sandy and Jeffrey just wrecked top sportsmen this year, obviously. Super comp was uh, KB, the rabbit, Kevin Brannon, getting a win over Frank Altilio. Super gas was my man, Ray Ray Miller, getting a win over Joe Eckel. Super street, Matt Weston. I saw Matt, I think, uh, had posted that he won the uh, Division Two championship. I think Matt's been runner-up, Luke, I don't know, four or five times, basically straight. But at least he's been runner-up several times in the division. Finally uh, knocked the door down and got his Super Street Division Championship. Great job by Matt there. Got the win over my buddy Stan Coleman. Super Stock was Brandon White over Nicholas Childs. In stock was uh, our buddy, the, the sign punk, Jeff Strickland, getting a win over my good friend Jeff Harrington. And they had some junior dragster activity there at that event to uh, Luke 13, age 13 to 17 was Morgan Wilson over Bailey Mize. Age group 10 to 12 was Bud Trammell II over Logan Westmoreland. And age group 6 to 9 was Dylan McNichol over Aaron Kennedy. And then uh, had the Moser shootout where uh, the fuzz, Steve Furr, got the win over KB. This is uh, KB ran himself in the finals, had uh, two shots there at the Moser shootout. Ran himself had in the semis, right. I mean, yeah, in the semis, had to eliminate one to go to the finals. So uh, that was uh, that was pretty cool. And it says KB was dialed in the 440s and never left second. Yeah, that was just kind of a goofy side note I saw when I was doing a little bit of, uh, of research. Where I come from, 440s fast. Real fast. Eighth mile bracket race. And KB on the entry that made it to the final, which was his top dragster entry. I believe first round, he was paired up with Jeff Strickland, Pro Charger top dragster, dot 411. In round two, he faced off with Sandy Wilkins, a top sportsman car, dot like 430. Ran himself at, at four. And then in the final, was paired up with Steve Furr, another Pro Charger entry, dialed 410. So, oh, KB goodness. in four rounds of competition, dialed 440s. Gets the wiggle every hit. <laughs> Leaving first every time. I know uh, there's some fast stuff out there. A little strict was dialed, I think, 405, 406, time or two at the million. And he said that had his slow pulley on. So this fast one to go another, I think, six or seven hundreds. These guys are flying out there. It's obvious when KB's dialed 440s and never leaving first. I mean, that's crazy, crazy fast. So with the Vegas National event and the Rockingham Division race in the books, here's how it breaks down. Again, only uh, events remaining are the Las Vegas Divisional, 
and the uh, Pomona National event at Las Vegas. They will also finish up a couple of classes from that Salt Lake City Divisional that we talked about a few weeks ago, but it doesn't appear that anyone that is in contention for the National Championship was still in at Salt Lake, so that will have little bearing on the championship chase. Here's how it breaks down. As we mentioned, Superstock Championship is done, clinched. Justin Lamb, Baby J, is the man. That is his third NHRA World Championship. More than likely... That trophy will sit right next to the one for his fourth. As we mentioned, took the lead in Stock Eliminator by winning last weekend in Las Vegas, and he actually can still improve his score. He can still claim both the Vegas Divisional and the World Finals at Pomona. Would take a deep run at either one of those to improve his score. When you got 687 points, it's difficult to improve. But yes, it is. Mathematically speaking, I believe it's three drivers, if my math serves me correctly. Brett Candies, Jeff Lopez, and Bubba Linky all have a quote-unquote shot. Each of them would need to, at minimum, win one of the Drain Manning 2 events and runner-up the other. And, obviously, that's a tall order in and of itself. None of the three were entered in Las Vegas last weekend, so they're not currently on the West Coast. None of the three are currently entered in Pomona next weekend. So my take, and I don't want to rush to judgment here, is that it's a technicality. When round one of this weekend's divisional event has concluded in Las Vegas, Justin Lamb will officially be the 2017 Stock Eliminator World Champion in addition to being the 2017 Super Stock World Champion. Wow. Two championships in a season. One is a tremendous accomplishment, and then for him to go out and get both of them and Somewhat coming from behind to do it, Luke. I know uh, Justin still had a lot of, yeah, he had a lot of opportunities left, but he still had to perform at an extremely high level, and he's done just that. So, very, very, very impressive. And um, feeling like uh, Siebert Performance, who's hot, almost got a, a lock already for the <laughs> upcoming show. Without question. In Super Comp, Austin Williams is in a similar position to Justin other than uh, he's out of races. He cannot uh, improve at Vegas and Pomona. Not sure if he's going to Pomona. If my math is accurate, there are two racers with a mathematical chance to overtake him. They are actually yours truly and Marco Perivalaris. For me to overtake Austin, I would have to win Vegas, and it would have to be an eight-round race, and I would have to win Pomona, seeing as my race cars are in Illinois with the freeze plugs out of the blocks. You can assume that that's not going to happen. Marco came into the Vegas national event having to run the table at his last three events. He would have to win the Vegas national event. He would have to win the Vegas divisional. It would have to go eight rounds, and he would have to win the world finals. That still sounds ridiculous. It sounds a little less ridiculous than it did on Wednesday because Marco did win Super Comp at the Las Vegas national event to keep his slim hopes alive. And again, if my math is correct, if he did win out, and if the Vegas Divisional was an eight-round race, he would tie Austin. Not even sure who wins the tiebreaker. So with all due respect to Marco, I think it's fairly safe to say Austin Williams is going to be your 2017 Super Comp World Champion. Super Gas, this one's getting good. We've talked about this before. Nothing has really changed. John LaBoost Jr. still leads. Chris Cannon still has a shot. He's the only racer left that has a chance to beat him. Cannon still has still can earn points at both events, both the Vegas Divisional and the World Finals. Here's what has to happen. He must win either round four at Vegas 
or round three at Pomona. He could also get it done with like a combination, like if he wins three rounds at Vegas and two rounds at Pomona. It doesn't sound like that tall of an order until you put the helmet on and realize you have to turn on three win lights to win the World Championship. Like, it's a little bit more difficult to do than to say. I'm sure. Uh, plus, I saw that Little John was on the premises last weekend. I assume he will be on the premises again this weekend with a tow rope hooked to Chris Cannon's car. Um, <laughs> so this prop potentially is the most interesting of the chases remaining. Like I say, Cannon would have to win either the fourth round this weekend or the third round next weekend at Pomona. In Top Sportsman, it's official. It's Jeffrey Barker. As, although, as I mentioned earlier, he failed to win the Division Two championship with an obscene score. His uh, score that I probably a little bit prematurely claimed was over like four months ago. Yeah. It did come to fruition. <laughs> Jeffrey Barker is officially your top sportsman world champion. In top dragster, last but not least, this one's still got a little bit of work to do. Lynn Ellison is in the lead. Now keep in mind, top dragster is not contested in Pomona. So this weekend's divisional event in Las Vegas is the last points earning opportunity for top dragster drivers. The championship will be determined on Sunday. If my math is correct, there are only two drivers with a shot to catch and surpass Lynn Ellison. They are Mike Coughlin and Steve Kasner. If either of them are to pass Lynn Ellison, they would have to win the event. So that is some pressure. It's certainly not unprecedented. I wouldn't put it past either one of those guys. If I was Lynn Ellison, I wouldn't be sleeping easy. But it's a very, very tall order for either of them to overtake Lynn and get that world championship. In all likelihood, with all of that said, all championships, with the possible exception of Supergas, are almost certain to be settled this weekend. And Supergas could as well. If Chris Cannon goes, uh, what, turns on the win light fourth round, that would be over. If not, that one will extend to Pomona. I'm not sure anything else will. So that means, Luke, we are wrapping up our... Pickums, uh, where we attempted to pick the the world champions in each category, and anything short of that was just uh, it didn't matter. It was championship or bust. Yeah. So I, I gotta say, Jed, uh, you got a mathematical shot here. It's not looking great. Yeah. At this point, I don't like it. If we were going to presume the champions, you've got Austin Williams. Point for Jed. I have Jeffrey Barker and Justin Lamb, who have both already clinched Justin in super stock. You have the possibility of earning the top dragster world championship if, as we discussed before, Mike Coughlin runs the table at Vegas, wins the event. He would be the top dragster world champion. Point for you. I have, Go, Mike. Yes. I have the potential to earn another point in super gas if John LaBoost Jr. can hold on and earn the super gas world championship. So... The best that you can hope for is a tie at 2-2. And what would have to happen for that is Chris Cannon would have to pass John LaBoose and Mike Coughlin would have to win Vegas in order to pass Lynn Ellison. So are you telling me there's a chance? There's a chance. Yeah. It doesn't look great, Jed. So, but if, if it did happen and I did get lucky and we got a tie, then it's just, I mean, we just call it. No, 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 no. Even? I, 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 think, I think we both have to, to serve the, the pittance. You know what I mean? Like, we have to promote the show. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. So I was the, afraid you'd say that. Yeah, the decal. Yeah. So regardless, it looks like Big Red's going to be outfitted with a Sportsman Drag Racing podcast decal of some fashion, and I guess it's po- mm. it's possible that my my Vega would be outfitted with a, a similar logo. And I guess now is as good a time as any, Jed, to to make our definition here as to what that is going to look like. We put this out on Facebook over the weekend, or uh, yeah, over last week, for some additional suggestions. What should this decal say? What should it include? Where should it be located? How big should it be? We got a lot of great feedback. Three of them really stood out to me. And since this is likely to affect you more than it does me, not not saying, just saying, (laughs) I'm going to let you choose between the three, okay? Our buddy Luke Siebert suggestion was that Jed should run a decal saying, Luke is my pod daddy. Okay, I'm kind of partial to that. I like that. We had another <laughs> that said, insert name here. So we'll just say, Luke Bogacki taught me everything that I know with a, a Sportsman Drag Racing podcast logo below it. I like that. And then Dave Deming suggested a 12 by 12 image of the loser's face. This is like a caricature. How do you say that? I can't even say that. Caricature, yes. Caricature. Ah, you got it. All right. Yeah. Of the loser's face with his finger in his nose. And the caption, the only way I can pick a winner. And below that, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, <laughs> Luke and Jed. Funny story there. When I was in sixth grade, I ran for class president and won. I was, I was the class president. I think it was sixth grade, right? And that was my main campaign poster. I took a Polaroid of myself picking my nose and asked the voters to pick me. <laughs> And I guess it worked. Brandy Knox is still upset about that. <laughs> so, Jed, so, Pod Daddy, Luke taught me everything I know, or the caricature of you picking your nose. What? What? You had a, you had a preference? Uh, I don't really have a preference. I would say um, let's do a poll. We'll have our assistant Mark. If we've narrowed it down to these three, let him put a poll out on our page and. Let the listeners pick. I can't pick my own punishment. I really can't. So how democratic? Um, I like it. Let's just yeah. Let's just let the listeners pick, and um, it's whatever whatever they say is what I'll deal with. All right, let's switch gears one more time. BTE Southern Footbrake Challenge, Holly Springs, Mississippi. You are more outfitted to tell us about this than anyone, Big Jed. Tell us what happened down there in Holly Springs, just south of Memphis. Yeah, about an hour south of Memphis. A really nice uh, eight-mile facility there in North Mississippi. The fifth BTE Southern Footbrake Challenge uh, did not go off without a hitch or two. My partner, uh, Steve Steitz, and myself, uh, this is our 16th event between 11 World Footbrake Challenges and five Southern Footbrake Challenges. Luke, we had a really good start Thursday. Got there. It was beautiful weather, about 70, 72. Uh, got our testing tune in and our gamblers race, our 2000 to win gamblers race, where a couple of guys that are very familiar with going to the winner's circle of footbrake races got it done. Charlie Lockhart took the win over David Bell, double O David Bell. Really great start to the event. We saw weather coming. Uh, according to, you know, you know how these things work. You look at four, five, six different weather outlets and then you pick the best one and that's the, that's the what forecast you're going to get. So we uh, hoped that we'd not see the rain until about 4 p.m. We moved the time trial up for Friday, one time trial and go race, tried everything we could, but the rain got there sooner than expected before round one uh, was a complete uh, washout. So 
we uh, obviously didn't have a completed race at that point. We had promised the foot brake racers $30,000 to win, and uh, they got just that. We did two $15,000 to win races, but the weekend's challenges were not over. Uh, with the rain, brought a crazy cold front that we don't see here in October in this part of the country. I'm sure you guys felt it as well probably just a little bit more than we did but you know they're forecasting highs in the upper 40s right around 50 degrees for saturday which created you know again some challenges that we're not used to so uh the track staff there did a unbelievably good job getting everything ready to go we got some cars on the racetrack for a time trial saturday as things were starting to flow uh you know had to stop and do some extra track prep there's you know rubber not bonding well to a cold surface and i think uh, the staff just did an excellent job of responding and making it uh, raceable and giving the guys a good competitive surface so while that's all happening steve's telling me you know we we don't want to race past dark because it's going to get cold so steve's telling me we're we're going to get a gambler's race in too there where we typically have one friday after the the main event he said, we're going to get one Saturday, too. And I was like, mm, I ain't sure about that, bud, but if you think we will, I'll announce it. So I announced it, and as the 15K was coming to a close, we could see we obviously had some entries in the gambler's race. We could see that it was really a great opportunity to keep the track warm, mix in that gambler's race while we're getting down to the nitty-gritty in our 15K. When the dust settled, Brad Pluard, the aforementioned Seabrook Performance, who's hot, uh, got it done in his Chevy 2 over Lucas Walker. Uh, Lucas lit it 0007 red, 710 thou red. So uh, handed the win over to Brad, but uh, Brad was going to be hard to beat either way. Uh, great great job by those guys, and we actually got the, the $2,000 gamblers race in as well where double-O David Bell, that runnered up Thursday's Gamblers, ran himself in the final, which was extremely impressive. Uh, you know David well. <laughs> all David Bell, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, from a competitive standpoint, you probably know David a little better than you, yeah, than you want to. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> he has bad news on the bottom. He's very aggressive, and he don't back off, uh, and he... he Got the uh, got the win and runner-up spot in the Saturday 2K Gamblers. So, you know, we had $17,000 to the winners passed out on a difficult day on Saturday. Was feeling really good about the weekend, but the challenges were not over. Sunday's forecast was much better with highs in the mid-50s, maybe 53 to 54 degrees for a high. Heat wave. Heat wave, but man, it started out, Luke, so cold, and we needed to make sure that we gave the racers the best opportunity to compete. It's 15,000 in foot brake. You know, they don't get many opportunities to do that. So we decided to give a time trial and um, get those guys started about 930. Staff had the track ready. It was very cold. Uh, the track temp, I think, was 41 degrees when we started. And uh, that's colder than we like, but we got a time trial in and got our $15,000 race completed right around 3.30, 4 o'clock that afternoon. So it started very cold, ended very nicely. And Nick Hastings, Nasty Nick, got to win over Shad Blakely, the guy they call Snake Jr. from Arkansas over there. A couple of bad dudes uh, on the foot break and Nick continuing an, another 
amazing year for him and um shod's a guy that doesn't get very far east to come race with people but uh, he is an extremely talented foot brake racer from over there in arkansas around the prescott area so it was great to get another fifteen thousand dollar winner there and we had a little side pot put up by lopez motorsports uh, you mentioned jeff lopez having a shot at the stock world championship jeff and his brother robbie the original tex-mex i believe is what you said right that's right that's right those guys put up a thousand dollars for the weekend for the last racer standing from west of the mississippi they call it the lopez motorsports lone star challenge and uh, we typically do 250 on friday and sunday and 500 on saturday but we had a thousand to divvy up two ways and saturday troy morgan got that a great supporter of ours troy morgan from over in texas and then uh, snake jr Shaw Blakely got the money on uh, Sunday as he's from, again, the Prescott area in Arkansas. So great event, Luke. It was awesome to be a part of. We had 175 on Saturday. I think it was 165 on Sunday. And with the forecast and the, the challenges that we were presented, I thought that was wonderful crowd and very excited and appreciative of everybody involved. It was a, a really fun show. Fantastic. Yeah, from keeping up on Facebook, I thought it just went smooth and seamlessly. So nice to have a little uh, <laughs> behind the scenes. And and to your point, your two main event winners, uh, we talked a lot about Brad earlier in the show and Nick Hastings. Like, you couldn't have more of a picture of versatility. Like, is there anything that those two guys can't do? Yeah, um, very well said. Very, very impressive. Jed, we are about to go into our interview with Marco Paravalaris. Marco was, due to uh, some college conflicts, Marco is a student, he could not join us at our typical recording time. So I actually recorded this earlier in the day, and um, seeing as Big Jed has like a real job, uh, <laughs> he, he wasn't part of that interview, so it's just going to be me and Marco here coming up, but uh, pretty fun interview, really genuine young man, as we'll talk a little bit after the interview yes. and, and during it, but I think that'll come through almost immediately. But before we get to Marco, Jed, let's have a quick word from some of our sponsors. Racing RVs is heavily involved in sportsman drag racing. They headline the NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman Series. They sponsor all of the SFG Promotions events, including the World Series of Bracket Racing, the Super Bowl of Bracket Racing, and the Powerball event. Racing RV sponsors racers including Austin Williams, Disco Dean Carnes, and our own cool hand Luke Bogacki. And they present this podcast that you're listening to. In short, Racing RV is invested in sportsman drag racing. So when the time comes for you to make an investment in your own RV or trailer, we encourage you to support the company that supports sportsman drag racing. That's Racing RVs. They do it all, folks. New coaches, used units, financing, trade-ins, consignments, you name it, they can take care of you. Visit them online at RacingRVs.com. In addition to Racing RVs, this week's podcast is once again presented by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. I've told you for months how This Is Bracket Racing Elite has made me a better racer, but it's not just me. Elite is honored to be a small part of the success of so many of our members. Just to name a few, the NHRA Division 5 and Division 7 Super Pro Champions are members of Elite. We also have multiple 2017 NHRA National Event wins to our credit as a group. 
Hunter Patton dominated the million. He's an elite member. Chad Duke has won a bunch this year, including a six-grander last weekend. He's a member. Kevin Brannon just won Super Comp at Rockingham and runnered up in the Mosier Shootout. He's a member. Elite members have earned nearly a dozen track championships in 2017, and elite members come from all background and all backgrounds and experience levels. Uh, I think a common misconception is that elite is just for beginners not exclusively. It doesn't matter if you're new to the sport or a long-time winner. If you want to reach and expand your potential on the racetrack, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can help. Check us out at All right, I'm joined now by Marco Peravalaris. Marco is a two-time JEGS All-Stars qualifier. He was the winner of the $20,000 finale at this year's Spring Fling Million, and he's now a two-time NHRA national event winner, hot on the heels of his Supercomp triumph at last weekend's NHRA Toyota Nationals in Las Vegas. Marco, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Luke. And thanks for coming on with us. As I uh, kind of previewed with our uh, listeners earlier, to do this during uh, midday, and my my partner in crime, Big Jed, has actually got a real job. So this will just be me and you. I, I apologize that you're missing out on Big Jed. No problem. <laughs> uh, the biggest reason why we have Marco on the show is because he's red hot, having won Super Comp at the NHRA National Event in Las Vegas just last weekend. Marco. Take us through the event a little bit. I know that elimination started off as tough as they come with an opening round matchup against Tommy Phillips. All the matchups were tough this weekend. There wasn't any particular round that was more tough than the others. Every round was a different scenario, but we just tried to do the best we could every round and uh, made some great memories with the family. No, that is awesome. After knocking off TP in that opening round, you rolled through Chad Langdon, Mike Shannon, Rick Lash, Ken Mostowich, got a scheduled by run in the semifinals before defeating Mark Potts in the final round. Those are big names, man. So kudos to you. For our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with your career, I think your story is an interesting one and somewhat unconventional in that you come from a racing family but not necessarily a drag racing family. Tell us a little bit about how you and your family got into sportsman drag racing in the first place. Well, I was fortunate enough to grow up around my dad's racing. He was a dirt oval racer, racing dirt modifieds and dirt late models for over 25 years. And when I turned 16 and got my license, my dad and I were building a dirt modified in our garage and that was going to be the plan and several friends of ours suggested that it would be fun to try out drag racing at our local Sonoma Raceway drag strip so I had a 1994 Camaro Z28 it was a mid-13 second car I went out there just after I got my license and had a great time And first round, that race, my dad and sister were talking about what to dial the car at. And after the round concluded, my sister was actually, her prediction was way closer than my dad. (laughs) So ever since then, she's been dialing me. And once we decided that we pursue drag racing a little bit more, After going to the Frank Hawley Drag Racing School, getting my super gas license later that year, 
my dad retired from dirt track racing, and we've been doing it as a family ever since. No, that's actually a great segue. I, I love, Marco, watching your family at the racetrack. I know I've told you and your father that personally before. Everyone has a job, and you guys seem to work together seamlessly and enjoy yourself at the same time. Uh, how is it that your mother, your father, your sister, along with yourself, seem so invested in, in competition as a team and, and ultimately success? Well, we've always been about doing everything as a family and drag racing. There's so much involved in it. And as you just stated, we each have a job and it requires so much hard work that we all just work as hard as we can. And we just do what we can to work together and do everything together. So, and it's really been a blessing to spend time as a family doing that no it is it's it's fun to watch and it's a selfless attitude from your whole family that we don't see a whole lot so like i say i i personally take a lot of joy in watching you guys earlier this season you won the final day at the spring fling million for a twenty thousand dollar payday adding that to last week's national event win i would have to assume that las vegas motor speedway is quickly becoming one of your favorite facilities well, Las Vegas Motor Speedway is a great facility. Jeff Foster and the entire staff there do a great job running the racetrack, and Kyle Seipel and Peter Biondo promoting the Spring Fling. They have a lot of great events that happen there, and it really makes for some great and fun racing. Yeah, agreed. That's one of my personal favorites as well. In addition to your Super Comp and Super Gas success, you do about as much bracket racing as you can on the West Coast. I'm curious, from a personal standpoint, do you have a preference between competing in the superclasses or in bracket competition, whether that's at a local level or at some of the bigger events? Well, they're all so much different from each other that it's really hard to decipher which one I like better. There's a different pace to both of them. They both present a different schedule on race day. and Anytime I have the opportunity to go out there and race with my family, whether it's a, just a local race on a Wednesday night at Sonoma Raceway, a national or divisional, or a bracket race, it's just fun to have the opportunity to do it with them. So anytime we're racing is fun. Well, that's an awesome answer and one that I expected from you, to be honest. Marco, I don't know if you were even aware of it or not, but you came into last weekend, the national event in Las Vegas, as one of just a couple of drivers with a mathematical shot to overtake, not even the right word, to match Austin Williams's score atop the Super Comp Championship standings. In order to tie his total, you would need to run the table with wins at the Vegas National, the Vegas Divisional, and the World Finals in Pomona that seemed preposterous, and and I realized that it's still not likely. But the first leg of the three is behind you. Have you allowed yourself to even think about the possibility of claiming a national championship? Well, it's been a fun season, and regardless of the outcome, no matter what, it's just important for my family and I to take it around at a time and try and put down the best run that we can each time we roll up to stage the car. Absolutely. It's a great outlook. Marco, you're just 22 years old. Is that correct? 
do my research. Yes, sir. All right. College student, highly successful racer. I guess as it pertains to uh, the podcast and as it pertains to racing, what's next for you? What, What do you see in the near or maybe more distant future? Well, I have two semesters left of college after this semester. And my primary focus is to take that a day at a time and finish it and racing as much as we possibly can, trying to keep our equipment together. And for now, it's just taking life, doing one thing at a time and go from there. Very good. Now, typically, I think Jed would probably add a little bit more color to our interview because he's really good with that. But we tend to uh, close these racer segments out with a little bit of rapid fire. So if you're up for it, I've got some pretty quick questions for you. Kind of one word or simple response. Not always racing related. We'll try to have a little bit of fun. You up for that? Absolutely. All right. I know that you guys own, what is it, four race cars at, at this time? Drag cars? I've lost count. I think it's four or five right now. (laughs) It's easy to do. Not necessarily a car in your current possession, but what's your favorite race car that you have driven up to this point? I'm going to say our Super Gas Camaro Roadster. That one looks like it would be the most fun. Who is, uh, if you could select one, your biggest influence in drag racing? Who has been to this point? Oh, for sure. My father, Nick, not only because of his dedication growing up watching his racing, but him always telling me that being a good person always comes first in racing. This one might be a little tricky. I'm kind of putting you on the spot because I think I would struggle with a question like this on the spot. But if you could sit down to dinner with any three living people, no limitations, who would they be? That would be my father, Nick. My mother, Ellen, and my sister, Lella, they're the most important people to me and the ones that I enjoy spending the most time with, regardless of the occasion. Fantastic. What are you majoring in in school? Business marketing. Business marketing. And if one day, Marco, Hollywood made a movie of your life, who plays Marco? Gosh, I'm not too (laughs) familiar with actors, so unfortunately, that's a hard one. Gosh. Yeah, I unfortunately don't really have an answer for that. That's a better question for somebody else that's more familiar with actors. Yeah, I'd have to age. sit down and think that through a little bit myself. For, uh, for some reason, the one of the stars of the Facebook movie is coming to mind to play you, but I cannot think of his name either. So sorry to put you on the spot there, Marco. But uh, man, once again, congratulations on your success in Vegas. Good luck over the course of the next two weekends. I assume that that will wrap up your 2017 season. We're contemplating on running the turkey race Mm -hmm. at Las Vegas at the end of the year. And there's also a local race at our home track. So That would probably wrap up our 2017 racing season, but as I said earlier in the interview, we just take it one race at a time, and we'll see how the equipment holds together up until then. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for taking some time out of your day. I know you've got a busy schedule this week between races and finals going on at school, or midterms, I think you said, so we appreciate you carving some time out of your day, and uh, as we mentioned earlier, good luck, and, uh, and thanks for joining us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, Luke. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Football again.
I want to say thank you once again to Marco Paravalaris for joining us. <laughs> Jed, I'm sure our listeners after that interview get a feel for just how genuine a young oh. man Marco Paravalaris is. I love, and I, and I know I mentioned this in the interview, I have uh, enjoyed for a long time watching Marco and his family at the racetrack because everyone is invested in the process and the success like it's it reminds me of racing with my father it's what i hope racing becomes with my son assuming that that gary is is interested and involved in racing i I hope that whatever he gets into would support in the way that marco's family supports him as i mentioned marco like real genuine like sincerely polite i think that probably came through in the interview like to the point that the first time you meet him or the first time i met him like it's a little over the top because you just think there ain't nobody in the world this nice, right? Like, <laughs> like I just kind of step back, like okay, what, what's what's about to come? But the more that I talk to him, obviously that's that's Marco. And <laughs> when I was at Salt Lake City, I was I was parked across the staging lanes from Marco and his family, basically. And uh, his father Nick told me a story, which it's not a fun story, but it was uh, about Marco crashing at uh, Sonoma on like a test day. And I've been to Sonoma once, I can't completely picture it, but like over the left guardrail is basically like a a culvert, so to speak, like it's a low area, and then it goes back Mm -hmm. up to the stands. And uh, Marco went over the guardrail, ended up upside down in this, you know, culvert low area beside the racetrack, to the point that like the ambulance personnel went down the racetrack looking for him, not realizing that he was on the other side of the wall down out of view. So it took a while for anyone to get to him, and he is hanging upside down in a Chevy 2, thankfully not on fire or anything like that. When the paramedics get to Marco, Nick was the first one on the scene, his father, and says him, you know, are you okay? Stay put. Wait for help. And uh, the paramedics get there, and of course, calmly, as paramedics do, whatever their their name is, you know, the paramedics get out and say, hi, I, I'm Harry. This is Christine. We're going to get you out of here. And as you could expect, as I, as I know you know, Jed, words out of Marco's mouth, extended hand. Hey, my name's Marco. Thank you guys for helping me. That's Marco Paravalaris, right? You know, that is Marco. No surprise there at all. Just an absolutely wonderful young man. <laughs> just you know, everybody loves Marco. You can't just like Marco. You got to love him. He's just that kind of guy. And great to see him having success. And I hate I wasn't able to be part of the interview it's uh that's definitely something i regret but um really glad to see him doing well and it was great to have him all right guys that wraps up the controversial episode number 50 50 episodes wow look that's crazy ah, episode I 29 say- was controversial this one's nothing yeah a good point <laughs> <laughs> thanks to our sponsors as always this is bracket racing elite Seabird performance and racing rvs Definitely want to say thanks to our guest, Marco Paravalaris, uh, just an awesome young man. Great to have him on the show. As always, thanks to PJ North. PJ does all the music on the show. You can find him at all the major music outlets. And um, definitely our assistant, Mark Romeo, helping us put the show together. Uh, he's been a, just a great addition to the show. If you got ideas for the show, make sure you message the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Or you can contact Mark on Facebook. He is Mark Romeo. And again, guys, uh, it's our plan and intention, and we're right on pace to give you a show every week of the calendar year. And um, we're knocking it out every week, 
getting it just uh, a little bit late at times, a little bit early at times, but we're getting it. So be sure to stay tuned to us for plenty more going forward. Yeah, closing in on episode 52, Big Jed. That will be one full year of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. We're going to have to do something special for that first annual yeah. show. Yeah, we need some kind of celebratory intro or something. Yeah, Mark, Mark, you have to get to work on that. The easiest way to make sure that you have the latest episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast at your fingertips is to subscribe on whatever platform you're at accessing the show. That could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. As always, tell your friends. Word of mouth is probably our best advertising uh, that there is. Tell your friends about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Get your track involved. Encourage your racetrack, your local track, to um, play snippets of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast over the PA during downtime, parking time, oil downs, things like that. Would love to be on at your racetrack, and uh, and obviously we think that uh, for the most part our conversation is applicable. So uh, you make that request. Be sure to let us know if they do that, and we'll give a shout-out on the show. Join our Facebook community. We are the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page, and touch base with us on Twitter. I am at Luke Bogacki. That's B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and Jed is at JP11X. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Uh, Y'all got after me a little bit this week, but you know what? You're making me a better man for it, and I appreciate it. So looking forward to uh, hearing some more feedback on this show Hope everybody has a great week, and we truly, truly appreciate you listening. Good luck to all of you uh, south of me that are uh, still in competition this weekend, and we'll touch base next week. See you guys. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action. Take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.